Hey everybody, happy Super Bowl week. Sam Ellinger here, sports columnist with the Kansas City Star, and I am grateful for you listening to the 42nd episode of the Mellinger Minutes for Your Ears podcast. 42, by the way, is the number of passes thrown by Patrick Mahomes in last year's Super Bowl. That include the wild mid-motion adjustment that, that Richard Sherman talked about, turning what Sherman swears would have been a pick six into a first down. And of course, it includes Wasp and so many others straight through to the last pass he threw that night, that short touchdown to Damian Williams. Mercy. All right, our goal today, just like always, to be worth your time. This week, we'll do that from start to finish, talking about the Super Bowl. There's a little bit of everything in here for you, from you know nerdy breakdown stuff to fun, you know, conversation with a man who knows more about the Bucks than anyone not employed by the Bucks, and probably more than uh, many of them or some of them who, who are employed by the Bucks. So, okay, the Star is running a special promotion for the Sports Pass right now: one dollar a month for three months for all our sports coverage, including more original Chiefs content than you can find anywhere else. You can find that on our website. Or just reach out to me, Twitter, Facebook, email, whatever, and I'll send you the link. I appreciate all of you who have listened and offered great feedback and written in asking for the subscription link. Your support means everything to me and the people I work with, so thank you. Okay, um, the Super Bowl, you guys. Look, I know this is two in a row. I know that the existence and you know long-term employment of Patrick Mahomes with the Chiefs means we all assume that there will be more. But I do hope these things are never taken for granted. You know what I mean? I, I know they aren't by players or coaches or scouts, you know, the people that live this and breathe it in an almost maniacal way. Um, so I guess I'm speaking more about people like you and <laughs> people like me. You know, this is a big part of why we all fell in love with sports, right? Like these moments, the ones that, you know, with 100% certainty, something on Sunday you will remember for years or decades or maybe even forever. You know, th- this is the best part of being a fan or following a team or, you know, having this weird job in which you hope to help people who love a team better understand and get to know it. You know, something is going to happen on Sunday that will live forever. Something like Wasp or the Rose Bowl play, um, you know, the Chiefs could be on the wrong side of it, right? Like maybe Mike Evans bosses someone down in the end zone or Shaq Barrett has a strip sack at the worst moment for the Chiefs, whatever. You know, the point is we know what's coming between the cheese dip or the wings, whatever you're going to have on Sunday. And that certainty is one of the best things about the Super Bowl. And look, this entire show is about the game on Sunday, and and we will talk about specific matchups and plays, strategies that I think both teams might use to counter the other side's strengths or exploit some weaknesses. Um, We're going to do all that with a great run of questions, and I even included more of that than usual because there were so many good ones. And we'll do it with an expert on the Bucks in the third section. So, look, the football nerd of the, the football nerd part of this is covered, you guys, right? So I hope you just give me a few minutes for the other side, the corny side, and I, I know I can do this sometimes and get cheesy or whatever but that's who i am and uh so that's what you signed up for with this podcast so here it goes like i, I am grateful i want to start here like i'm just grateful that we had an entire nfl season it didn't have to go like this right like there are a lot of people who thought it was nuts that almost by definition football could not be played without turning into a weekly super spreader um and even now there's some who work around the league and think things were mishandled and uh, i am clear on the other side of this which uh is a little bit weird at least because i usually have more to criticize than praise when it comes to the commissioner and the league office but um i just think the nfl has been great 
with this? Like, not good, but great. You know, perfect? Like, of course not, right? Like, um, you know, there's no perfect with with this thing. And, you know, the NFL made some mistakes and had to react, like, in real time to circumstances or events that it could not have predicted. And it's also fair to point out, right, like, the, the league is starting at this thing with some advantages. Um, you know, time, most obviously. Like, the, the NFL could see how the NBA did it, how Major League Baseball did it. NHL, MLS, European soccer leagues, like all all these different organizations, um, those leagues could sort of be the NFL's guinea pig, right? We also know that the NFL has a gajillion dollars and a gajillion more that's on the line for a season to be played. So, you know, they had the means and the motivation to do everything imaginable, imaginable to pull this off. But, you know, they still had to do it. Right. Like they still had to work through the logistics of daily testing and, you know, finding the right balance between and God, I hate this term, but, you know, the right balance between an abundance of caution and, you know, moving forward with football. They had to work through fans at stadiums, you know, positive tests, rescheduling games, canceling practices. They, they had to do all of this. And without the safety net that a lot of us thought would have been beneficial, I still do, um, it, you know, and put an extra week between the regular season um, and the playoffs. And, you know, look, I am well aware that the NFL did not do any of this out of altruism, right? Like they did it to make money. That's what businesses do but i'm just i'm grateful that they did it you know and not just for the obvious benefits of you know what i do professionally but you know like we've all been cooped up like all this time especially in the winter you know our lives sort of like flipped upside down like all these you know personal connections lost where we you know can't see friends or even neighbors in the same way and um it takes a toll man and Look, I'm well aware of this. Like, I am, you know, a bit of a homebody anyway, uh, naturally introverted. I'm lucky to not have anyone that I'm close with or in my family have serious problems with the virus. I'm lucky in a million ways. Great marriage, great family. I'm lucky to have a job that stays steady and busy. You know, just, again, lucky for a million reasons that put me in a relatively good spot with all this. But there's still been times I wanted to bang my head on the wall. You know what I mean? And And I know that most of it, I was going to say many, but probably most of you have it a lot worse. And, you know, football, and, and I know this probably says something about me needing more balance in my life, right? But, you know, football has been a consistent joy and like this sense of connection and purpose over the last five months. You know, it's been a reason to talk to a friend. It's been, you know, the fantasy league that keeps a bunch of bunch of us that are <laughs> spread literally over the world now, you know, connected in a different way. It's been something to look forward to every week something to experience every weekend, you know, something that's happening in real time that makes you feel something, you know what I mean? And we just, my God, like we've had almost all of that gone and I'm thankful that we could at least have football. And let me tell you this corny, this very corny story. Look, you probably heard me say that our first grader is obsessed with sports and and especially football. Well, he's also obsessed with sleep <laughs> and, um, you know, it can be hard for him to get up for school, um, especially like Mondays after he slept in a few days. So, um, you know, anyway, this past Monday was a bad one. Poor kid. I mean, he was like a rock, just begging to sleep more and, um, you know, beside himself that he had to get up. So <laughs> he's ticked off, right? So I just said something like, you know, hey, buddy, do you know what this is? It's it's Super Bowl week, right? Like Super Bowl, like people are going to be talking about the game all week about, you know, how Tom Brady's in another Super Bowl and how Patrick Mahomes is the next great quarterback, but wondering if I have enough time to throw downfield. And I'm telling you, this kid, he went from a frown to a smile. And then he said something like, 
yeah, because, you know, Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz got hurt and they're really good blockers. So the Chiefs had to figure something out. And like before I knew it, he was downstairs eating breakfast. You know, my wife is taking him to school. And, you know, that is a tiny, nothing, like insignificant thing. I understand that. But for our son and for us, like it changes day. And, you know, I'm sure if you're a football fan and, you know, if you're not a football fan, then shout out to you for listening to all this. But if you're a football fan, like you, you probably have a dozen stories like that, right? Like a dozen times that football made your day better or your week or a conversation with a friend. I, I Look, I know this is corny. And again, I know the NFL is a business and it's doing all this for money. But I also know that for a lot of us, our lives are better with football than they would be without it. And, you know, having football this fall uh, was no guarantee. So before the last game of the season here, you know, one last time, I just want to say how grateful I am for it. So, and God, man, I'm going to miss it for the next six months or so. Before we move on to the rest of the show, this podcast is free, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to ask you one more time to join us behind the paywall. We work hard to bring you information and perspectives you can't get in other places. We have the most journalists working the Chiefs beat, the most combined experience around the team, the most perspectives. Please help support us by giving the Sports Pass a try. Again, you can join for a dollar a month for the first three months or $30 for a year. You can find those links online or reach out to me on Twitter, Facebook, email, whatever, and I'll send them on quick break and then we're back with some questions if you want to participate in next week's show the first post football show that we'll have you know please call 816-234-4365 leave your first name where you're calling from and almost literally any question put the number in your phone call anytime 816-234-4365 or as the great reader michael points out 816 beg idle Hey, Sam, this is Krista calling from north of Casey. So I'm a little curious. In the first game against Tampa, our defense was dominant for the first three quarters. But Brady shows life in the fourth quarter. I'm a little worried. Is that because our defense just kind of had a letdown because they knew we won? Is Spags kind of holding his cards close to the vest? Or did Brady figure us out? How concerned should I be going into the Super Bowl? Really what I'm asking you is when do I start pacing? Two hours before or like in an hour now? Thanks for your help. Bye. Krista, I love it. Football games are complicated, you know, like almost these living, breathing organisms, you know, and you never know exactly which matchup or what play call or what decision is going to sort of butterfly affect the whole thing. And that's one of my favorite parts of the sport, really. And, you know, maybe that's one of yours, too. But my point here is that I don't think we can say, like, you know, the second half of a game in week 12 went this one way. So that's how the rematch two months later will begin. 
you know, like the the players are different, which we'll get to in the next answer, actually. Um, and, and the coaches have more information. Um, you know, neither side is going to approach this game the same way they did the last one, um, especially Bucks defensive coordinator, Todd Bowles. Right. But, um, you know, the only bit of hesitation I have here is that, you know, Tony Romo and, and you probably remember this, but. Romo sort of called the Bucks comeback. It was in the third quarter, if I remember right, and he said something like, you know, the Bucks have figured something out here, and, and that's when they started scoring and almost came back. But, you know, two things here. Like, first, again, you know, the players are different. Um, neither side is going to approach this game the exact same way they did in Week 12. Um, you know, and the other thing is, and maybe this is related to the first point, but that was a, a point in the Chiefs' season when, you know, the defense made these second-half comebacks like a habit. Remember that? Like the the Panthers scored 14 points in the fourth quarter. The Raiders scored 14 points in the fourth quarter. The Bucks scored 14 points in the fourth quarter. The Dolphins scored 17 in the fourth. And the Saints scored 14. That That was the pattern. And the guys on that side of the ball were open about that being a problem. So they seem to have dressed that uh, – they seem to have addressed that well uh, because, you know, the defense has played what I would say is the best three games of the season since, um, you know, when you account for quality of opponent and everything else. So, uh, you know, what I'm saying here basically is that I don't think the second half of the week 12 games should should be giving you enormous concern. What what I'm also saying is that the Bucks are really, really good. And, you know, it's a Super Bowl for crying out loud. So, you know, no matter what I say here, <laughs> you're probably pacing as you're listening to this and we'll continue right through kickoff. Right. So, uh, OK, I told you we talk a little bit more about how the, the play players are different than in week 12. So um, here's a question from Chris. Hey, Sam, Chris from KC. My deal today is what is the key to the Super Bowl? Obviously a hot topic. My key for the Chiefs and what's the determining factor in this game to me is Juan Thornhill. I personally believe that his development this year, again, is going to make the difference in the Super Bowl. I think it's going to be back and forth between Brady and Pat. I think it's going to be a lot of scoring. The only way to beat the Chiefs, as you mentioned, is to outscore them. Brady's taken a little more risks. That's why he's been getting picked off, and he's a statue back there. But he's still great, and he throws great passes, and he's got dudes to throw him to. The difference now is that earlier in the year, Thornhill was a step slow. He was unsure, and he was not getting to his coverages. We had to stick Sorensen back there too much, and he's too slow to do it right. But now you got to give credit to Spags for coming up with this triangle and three defense they have now to cover the linebacker problem. And they got basically they're rotating Matthew and Sorensen in there as a monster back and Thornhill's covering everything and he's the key. I'm going to put a hundred bucks down that says Thornhill gets his first interception in the Super Bowl, his first one of the year. So. That's my key to the game. Discuss. It's a smart point to make uh, because, you know, Thornhill played what I thought was by far his best game of the season, maybe his best game in the NFL, um, actually, in in the AFC Championship. It was really the first time all year that he was moved around like he did before the ACL tear uh, in Week 17 last year. Um, This week he said that he feels 100%, and that's the first time, maybe I'm wrong about this, maybe you guys can correct me, but that's the first time I think I've heard him say that. And, you know, the, the Chiefs had the league's best pair of safeties last year before Thornhill's injury. And that was the single biggest shift from that 2018 disaster. Um, you know, they obviously made it work without Thornhill in the playoffs last year. Um, 
and without his best this season. But having him at full strength, um, you know, or more specifically full speed, I guess, is just it's a literal game changer. So, um, you know, if that's how you want to answer this question, I'm not going to argue it passionately. But my answer and if I have any hesitation here, it's because you could say this about virtually any game. But my answer is the line of scrimmage. Um, you know, I, I, <laughs> that's a stock answer. Right. Uh, but I think the specifics of this matchup make it particularly relevant when the Chiefs have the ball. They will have backup tackles protecting Patrick Mahomes with, you know, two of the sports better edge rushers, Jason Pierre, Paul and Shaq Barrett. Um, you know, if those guys are wrecking the line and pressuring Mahomes constantly, uh, the Chiefs are going to have, you know, more trouble than usual scoring points. And if those guys are able to protect and, you know, it's not just about uh, Remmers on the left and Andrew Wiley on the right. But if those guys are able to protect, you know, the, the, the Chiefs will move the pocket left and right. They'll chip and double and do all those things, too. But, you know, if Mahomes has time, then he is going to rip apart the Bucks secondary. And look, I, I know football is more complicated than this, but I believe everything I just said as fully as a person can believe anything. So, you know, when when the Bucks have the ball, um, you know, we know that, that Tom Brady is just <laughs> enormously affected by pressure. Um, look at Pro Football Focus's numbers, and this is pretty wild, but listen to this. Brady has completed 70% of his passes for 8.3 yards per attempt, 43 touchdowns, and nine interceptions, 113.5 passer rating when not pressured, 70% completions, 43 touchdowns, nine interceptions, 113.5 passer rating. He is Patrick Mahomes when he has time. And then listen to this. When he is pressured, um, this is wild, but when he is pressured, that goes to 42%. He completes 42% of his passes, 5.3 yards per attempt, four touchdowns, six interceptions, and a 51.2 passer rating. 70% to 42%. 43 touchdowns, nine interceptions to four touchdowns, six interceptions. And, you know, a 113 passer rating to 51. He is basically Nate Peterman against pressure. So that is the whole thing, you guys. If the Chiefs pressure Brady more than the Bucks pressure Mahomes, to me at least, this game is a wrap. And if it's the other way around, then that's how the Bucks can win. Um, okay, uh, here's Rick. Hey, this is Rick from Mission, Kansas, wondering if the Chiefs have any backup left along the offensive line what happens if somebody goes down in the super bowl who'll step in and who's the best offensive lineman that will be left with the last pick in this year's nfl college draft the chiefs need him in the worst way don't you agree bye uh yeah man <laughs> this is a problem um my guess is that it's martinez rankin um at either tackle you see duran at either guard and daniel kigwart center but those are just guesses and it's a good point you bring up because i agree with something that vahe said on the sports beat podcast a few days ago which is the, the chiefs don't have a, well they didn't have a ton of depth at o-line before the season nobody does really in the nfl but you know they're now operating with backups at three out of the five spots and you know, you can next man up this all you want. And, you know, they've shown that they can keep things moving largely because, you know, Mahomes is absurd and they can move the pocket and do some stuff like that. But, you know, you have to wonder if one more injury puts that group, you know, to their breaking point. And, you know, we'll, we'll talk more about the draft after the Super Bowl. But, um, you know, it's pretty wild how quickly the outlook there changed, right? Like the Chiefs figured they were set at both tackles for years, um, you know, but unless... Eric Fisher has a superhuman recovery. That Achilles tear will keep him out at least the beginning of the 2021 season. And you have to wonder what Mitch Schwartz's future is like with a back injury this serious. But, you know, again, we'll get into all that later. Right now, uh, Super Bowl week. 
Sam Hayes is Rob from Hendersonville, Tennessee. Just a quick question. You're traveling this week to Miami, I think, with uh, two other sports writers. I think, if I understand correctly, you've traveled before with these guys or a few of these guys in the past, over the years. Who is the best to travel with? Who is the worst to travel with and why? And then if you would like to go for a bonus question, it would be nice to hear if your coverage for the Super Bowl week is any different as you guys are all on site trying to split up the workload. Man, um, so you know what? Like, this will be the first time I've traveled with any of these guys since last year's Super Bowl, right? Like, um, you know, I've only been on a flight once since the world shut down, and, and that was to Cleveland for the Royal season opener. So, um, anyway, I'm a little rusty here, um, but I can tell you they're all good to travel with, um, right? Uh, but just to answer your question, uh, no offense, buddy, I love you, but Herbie is probably the worst. Love you, Herb. But, you know, Herbie has this, like, constant, relentless energy that makes him great at what he does. Great in a press box during a game. He is a terrific coworker, all these things. But if you're on a layover or on a flight, I mean, like, for me, I just want to read or watch a movie and shut everything else out. You know what I mean? But um, as for the best, uh, I mean, I probably need to say Blair because he seems to be the one who always rents the car. <laughs> And I just, I hate renting cars. I just hate it. I always feel like I'm getting ripped off. Um, you know, I always, I'm worried that, you know, someone's going to scratch a door or hit me or something. And then it'll be this big thing with the insurance. You know, it's just, I hate it. I absolutely hate it. And I love driving. I love driving, but I love driving my car. So uh, your basic question here, though, it's something I've been thinking a lot about. And, you know, in the before times, right, uh, with all five of us together, it's pretty easy to just like shout to the guy next to you. And we're all pretty chill, egoless. So it's, it's as smooth as it can be. But it is choppier when the communication is, is all on text or slack or whatever um you know you, you got to make it work right and uh you know there's a process there's an order but it, it's just kind of goofy and i'd prefer to just not have to check my phone during these games because there's always a bunch of random angry or happy texts from friends about the game right so um anyway uh blair and vahe and i will be in tampa and we'll be able to communicate pretty easily but you know we'll still need the text thread for herbie and mcdowell so won't be the best uh won't be how it'll hopefully be next year but um guys it is it is better than nothing it is better than than not having football right um okay last one here hi sam my name is mason sixsmith i'm calling from tulsa oklahoma uh my question is what do you what impact do you think a win will have on patrick mahomes legacy uh versus uh, the impact a loss would have on his legacy especially as regards to uh, comparison to Tom Brady as the greatest of all time. Uh, I've heard some people go as, as extreme as saying that if Patrick loses, he won't be able to catch up to Tom Brady uh, no matter what he does the rest of his career. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, I also have a quick message to leave for you. The Chiefs are on the water. Go Chiefs, go! Honestly, guys, I, I'm including this one mostly so you could hear that song. <laughs> um, I, I've written some about this, and, and I hope you check out the column on the website, but I feel pretty strongly about two things. First, it is objectively ridiculous to talk about what legacy a 25-year-old in his third season as a starter will have, You know, particularly when compared to a 43-year-old. So that's one. Um, second... Uh, <laughs> counter uh second Mahomes is nothing if not a demand for us to constantly 
consider the objectively ridiculous. You know what I mean? So it's a valid question. And I mean, yeah, if we assume this is the last time these guys will play each other in a Super Bowl, I'm not sure we should make that assumption, but it seems likelier than not. Um, anyway, it would be pretty hard for Mahomes to get past the point that he lost his only two playoff games to Brady, right? Like once at home and the other time when Brady was 43 stinking years old. So um, that's a pretty good argument. Plus, it would be seven Super Bowls for, for Brady. But, you know, I'd, I'd also say that there's a lot of time between now and when Mahomes can either begin to have an argument. Um, and that's a lot of Mahomes snaps, which is the fun part, right? Um, okay, we're going to take one last break here, and then we are back with a conversation with the man who knows the Bucks better than anyone who doesn't work for them and better than many who do. Okay, I'm really pumped about this week's guest. Rick Stroud has covered the Bucks for the Tampa Bay Times for 30 years. He is such a good reporter that Ray Perkins once called Rick to see if he was getting fired that day. Rick told him yes. So anyway, I'm really thankful that Rick took some time out of a slammed week to talk to us about what Tampa is like right now, you know, hosting a, a COVID Super Bowl, where this game might be won or lost, and if Tom Brady really has had as big an impact as everybody says. Uh, the conversation is a little bit longer than we usually do in this segment. It goes about 17 minutes, but Rick is a boss, and it's the Super Bowl, and honestly, I, I could have talked to him 10 times as long. So there's some really good stuff in here, you guys, some stuff that'll make you smarter with your friends and, and help you watch the game on Sunday. So Okay, uh, here we go with Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. So uh, I've been to your city um, many times, um, enjoy your city, but can, can you describe what the hell is it like there right now? I mean, you've got the biggest event in the world, but, you know, COVID, right? Like, what, how would you describe Tampa right now? Yeah, well, I, I'm always, you know, I, in my podcast, I would say we can't have nice things, but this year, <laughs> the every pro sports franchise has gone to a championship and uh, right. lightning won the Stanley cup, but they did it in a bubble. And, you know, the Rays went to the world series, six games, uh, you know, with the Dodgers, but that was in Texas. So they have been able to watch some bucks games. If you're one of the lucky 15 or 16,000 or so that have been there. Um, and this, of course, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that the first home super bowl won't, re- won't, you know, have an entire, home stadium filled. But having said all that, um, it looks like a Super Bowl. Whether you go by the stadium, you go downtown, they get the Super Bowl experience. It's it's socially distanced, but a lot of people taking advantage of that. The weather's great during the week. I'm not sure it's going to be great on Sunday. Um, and, you know, there is a there's a definite vibe. I mean, I've never seen, it's been 13 years since they reached the playoffs, and I've never seen so many Buccaneer flags and people wearing the jerseys and the hats and, you know, all of that. So, um, there's definitely excitement. It's it's hard to to you know centralize it like you would during a normal Super Bowl, least least of all one in your hometown. Yeah. Um, but it is it is different. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. Okay. That's cool that there's still you know buzz and everything. Um, what are you expecting? People have asked me this, and I I have no idea. Like, what, what are you expecting the what is it twenty two thousand um, that they're going to let in? And it's like seventy five hundred healthcare workers, but. What, what are you expecting that vibe to be like? Like, how many is it going to be? A lot of Bucks fans there because it's local, or what? Well, I think the you know the the majority of the healthcare workers are from the Tampa Bay area. Um, as far as the rest of the fans go, I, I I don't know how that splits up, but my guess 
would be, be um, you know, predominantly a lot of a lot of Buccaneer fans, and the tickets are very expensive. Obviously, if you yeah. live here, you don't have to travel. Um, you know, it's already sort of a home game for them, and you know they were going to get some tickets anyway. But now they're the home team in the NFC. Um, you know, the games I've been to, um, it's been louder than you expect, and I think with the yeah. you know twenty two, twenty five thousand or so plus, they don't count. Um, you know, some of the sky suites and, and whatnot. Um, there'll be some atmosphere. They got cutouts up there to fill in the, you know, the empty seats, uh, around all those folks. So, um, you know, aesthetically, it'll look good. They, they've got a, a good, you know, pregame program. I guess the pirate ship's only going to fire, um, from the scoreboard and only when the Bucks are introduced or if they win, uh, the football game. So that won't be as normal, but, um, you know, it's it's not going to be what we're used to. It's it's going to look a little different, but there will be fans. And I think for what we've had to deal with this year, the fact that you're getting anywhere close to twenty five, thirty thousand people <laughs> in a stadium to watch the Super Bowl is pretty remarkable. Shoot, man, just having a game. Yeah, <laughs> I know, right? In some ways, I'm so yeah. excited. But um, I hear you too. Like I, at Arrowhead, I think it's been fifteen, sixteen thousand, something like that. It, Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was just going to sound like a bad high school game, but it's uh, there's a lot more noise um, than yeah. you would expect. But um, look, I, I, you know this team front and back. Um, like how how do the Bucks beat the Chiefs? Like what, what what's their path? You think? Well, I think they felt that they you know they crawled in a big hole the last time they played them down sure. seventeen to nothing. We know that Todd Bowles has to throw that game plan away. I'm not sure the one he rejected before using it when we don't want. <laughs> you know, if, if, if they're if they're smart, they won't want Carlton Davis trying to cover Tyree Kill or anybody man to man like that. Um, having said that, um, you know this is a different football team. They're a lot more confident on the back end, but maybe the biggest thing is that you know their front seven is playing so well. They're getting yeah. lots of turnovers, and then you add a guy like Vita Vea, which was sort of off the radar. I mean, he had broken his his leg uh, in a grotesque manner in Chicago in Week Five, and everyone kind of forgot about him, and then. Lo and behold, he's, you know, uh, returns from injury reserve. And in his first game at Green Bay, the guy plays 33 snaps and not only plays them, um, but pushes the pocket, creates one-on-ones outside for JPP and Chuck Barrett. They got five sacks of Aaron Rodgers. And so, you know, they've always been a good run defense. Um, I think that, you know, that's sort of the strength, again, of the front seven. But if you can rush for and, and, and create pressure and prevent the quarterback from stepping up, against an offensive line that we understand, you know, to be um, pretty beaten up and, and down to their, you know, second tackles on each side. And I, I think that's going to be their advantage. And for them to win, they're going to have to, you know, try to control the Chiefs. They're not going to stop them, obviously, but they need to control the scoreboard a little bit and, and get after Mahomes if they can. And, um, you know, maybe get a couple turnovers because they've been surviving on those quite a bit. Um, you know, some are be bunting as three interceptions in three playoff games and, um, so Todd Bowles will have the biggest role, I think. Look, they're going to score points. I, I think this offense has, um, you know, come a long way even since that November game, and they felt like they discovered something in the second half against the Chiefs, but then they had the bye week. And since the bye week, they've really sort of been on a roll. They know how to score points. I just think that it's going to be the team that whose defense can create the turnover, create field position. And, you know, I think the Bucks feel good about what they were able to do to Aaron Rodgers and Greenback. For sure. Um, th- this is a pretty nerdy football question for you, but, um, you know, I think people here um, are terrified of one of the things you just talked about, of the backup tackles, because 
uh, you know, that Chiefs line has always been built. Mitch Schwartz is great on the right side, and, and Fisher's been really steady on the left, and then they kind of have some moving pieces in the middle, and now with those two two guys on the outside down um, against this team, um, you know, I think people are kind of afraid of, of what that means for Mahomes. I mean, the, the Bucks get a lot of pressure. They also blitz a lot. Mahomes is sort of famously great against the against the blitz. Do you, would you expect, like, the, the, the game plan to be different against this team with uh, Remmers and, and Wiley at tackle than it would be if they had Fisher and Schwartz? Yeah, I think if you can if you can affect the quarterback rushing four, obviously you know it's, it becomes a math problem. They've got five eligible, and you've got seven to cover. And and I think that you're always, you know, would prefer um, if you can pressure the quarterback that way to do it. Uh, that's not to say that in a you know the right down and distance um, he won't bring people because that that is his aggressive nature. That is his style. Um, but if you can get those guys, the front, you know, the, the offensive line of the Chiefs worried about um, those four pass rushers or that front seven, you know, they do bring Devin White. They do bring safeties. They do bring corners off the edge. And so, you know, in selected downs and distances, I, I think Todd Bowles will be aggressive and maybe maybe in the red zone where he has to, you know, prevent the touchdowns and try to turn them into field goals. They've, they've been successful yeah. doing that. So. It'll be selective. I don't think it'll be wholesale. They're not play cover zero. They're probably not going to play a lot of cover one. Uh, I think they're going to try to, you know, make Kansas City earn everything and keep the ball from going over their heads. Um, but by the same token, he's also not going to let them sit back there and pat it. You know, the, the problem with Mahomes is you can get great pressure on him, and the guy runs back 20 yards <laughs> straight back and then throws 145 on the screws. And there's no defense for that. So even if those guys are successful in, in, you know, beating the tackles or inside or whatever, Mahomes' ability, you know, to improvise and extend plays and then make terrific throws on the run creates a lot of pressure in the back end because you got to plaster those receivers. So um, a lot of ways that, that they have done it. But, I, I, you know, I do think that that's – I think there will be a more uh, measured approach against Mahomes' time, if you will. Yeah, yeah. He's different. It seems like he's got – an answer for everything, but, um, you know, you said something else I wanted to ask you about. You said like, it looked like they figured out something in the second half. Um, I don't know if you were, were you at that game? In mm-hmm. 12? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, um, uh, on the broadcast, um, and you probably know this anyway, but right before Tampa started scoring and right before they got a few stops, uh, Tony Romo said something like, you know, I think Tampa figured something out. And, and things are about to change. I'm paraphrasing, but it was something like that. Um, have you, how good of a handle do you have on, on what exactly that was? What, what did they figure out? What can they, what can they build on, on Sunday? I don't know exactly what they did in that half per se. I know there was, um, you know, a, a better plan of protection, um, for Tom. Yeah. And, and, and I know he got the ball out more quickly. Um, and, and so, you know, They've they've always been a team, and Tom's always been a quarterback. That if you play cover two, he's going to run it. If you if you if you play up, he's going to throw it over your head. If you play back, he's going to throw it in front of you. I think they may have simplified some things and gone with uh, more protections. I'd have to go back and look to see if they went with more two tight end formations. That's a possibility as well. But they just seem to do a better job of keeping him clean and on schedule. And you know, in this in, since that half, um, you know, we saw the. The big play Ronald Jones turned in on a, on a quick check down. But since that half, I think you've seen, uh, after the bye week, them 
have more play action, be more committed to running the ball. Um, also, you know, pre-snap motion, you know, giving Tom some cues and, and using tight ends sometimes in ways that you would typically use a running back because they don't have great pass catching running back. Ronald Jones is not a guy like they had in New England, like Dion, you know, Dion Lewis or somebody. Um, Leonard Fournette, okay in the screen game, not really a route runner. He had a couple drops against Green Bay. So I think they, in, in, you know, incorporate the Cameron Brates and uh, their tight ends more as that safety valve, that check down in the zone area. And, um, you know, I think they were able to move the ball that way and not, not have Tom hold it quite as long for those downfield things to develop. Yeah, that's interesting. And, and maybe part of what you just said um, relates to this, but um, Brady's numbers are just enormously different, even, you know, by the standards of football when, when he's pressured and when he's not. Um, how much of that, I've heard people say, you know, well, he's 43 freaking years old, right? Um, but I think that offense also has kind of some longer developing plays, right? Like, um, are, are there things they can do specifically on their end to, you know, make sure that there's a lot more dropbacks with him clean than, than under pressure? Well, it is a, it is a, you know, if you compare it to what he did in the past, you know, he would have, you know, one guy going vertical and three guys intermediate or underneath. And in this offense, it's three guys going vertical and maybe yeah. one guy underneath. Um, I think what they've done is use more, uh, you know, more six, seven man protections at times. You know, they've gone with some heavy personnel. Again, the two tight ends, they've gone with an extra tackle and Joe Hay coming in there and playing, you know, next to a, to, a, um, an offensive lineman. So they've done some interesting things with protection, not, not put as much on the running backs um, per se, or, you know, getting five guys out on every single play, which is what BA wants to do. Um, and those routes do take a long time to develop. And, and there's just a lot of vertical concepts, but that's always going to be the case. I think they've kind of found a sweet spot. I think they've found, um, you know, a way to um, give Tom some, some options um, where he doesn't have to stand there and hold the ball because he's not going to. He doesn't want to get hit, and and still have you know, still still have guys going vertical to where if that's available to him, he can do it. A good example of that was the end of the half against Green Bay. Um, yeah, they were in a situation where they went for it on fourth down and they had very little time. They got the first down, and most people when they called the play thought, you know, including their quarterbacks coach who I talked to, thought, well, we're just gonna try to get a quick one here and kick the field goal and, you know, get an extra three points on the way up. And, you know, the Green Bay kind of botched the coverage. They, they sat a little too, too shallow and Scotty Miller ran by him and, you know, and, and Tom took a shot and, you know, maybe in other years, maybe in other offenses, he, he settles for the field goal and knowing that's that, but um, that's sort of Bruce's mentality, you know, the no risk it, no biscuit. Like he, he wants to, you know, he, he wants points. He wants, big plays he wants big plays vertically and and when they get those looks you know Brady has been pretty good at hitting them so um you know that's that's just one example but for the most part um they've just done some things schematically to to keep him clean and again the the emphasis on running the football like I would be very surprised if they came out of this game where both Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones don't have a, a big impact you know if you're going to lay a template it would be similar to what they did in New Orleans where they both had out 62 yards rushing and a bunch of yards receiving and a touchdown pass from the, to Fournette. And, you know, they, they keep those both backs, you know, early in the season, Fournette was not playing well. 
and he wasn't playing much. And he kind of went in the jar a little bit. Well, now we call him Playoff Lenny. And Playoff <laughs> Lenny is playing his butt off. I think he's got the most yards from scrimmage in the playoffs. So, yeah. um, you know, they need that guy to show up if they're going to win. Yeah, okay. Um, th- this might be the last thing I ask you. Um, just like <laughs> Tom Brady is just uh, – We've never seen anything like this, right? Like, what what is your view of like how much of this is is him joining the team? How much of this is they already had talent and they had good coaches before? And how close? Like, how would you describe his physical ability at this point? Well, I mean, I, I have to rely on the people that have scouted him and watched the video of him three, four years ago. They think that he hasn't had any deterioration of arm strength. He never was a guy that moved very well, to say the very least, but um, they feel like he can still make all the throws and that he's as good as he was four or five years ago. And I'll take their word for it. I've seen a lot of deep balls. Um, I've seen I've seen him throw fastballs, you know, in red zone situations. Um, he can still, you know, uh, he can still get it there on time, accurately, and in any kind of weather. So, so that part is that part is good. But, you know. Brady's impact is is so much more than just you know what he does physically. He beats you with his with his mind. He's seen everything, and he's a he's a special player and a special quarterback in that he brings so much belief and um, attention to detail and um, you know the sort of discipline you know that this this franchise has lacked. Talent is great. Talent. Everybody is talented, and they had plenty of talented players here. And you know what? They lost games every year. They lost mm-hmm. a lot more than they won. Um, what Brady has done is raise the bar for everybody. And you have to see how he does it. You have to watch him do it to really appreciate it. It's every day. Um, you know, there's ups and downs, but he, he is very consistent. And he finds ways to get better, and his team follows him. And um, he is literally, uh, you know, turned around really every facet of, of the organization, including the defense. And, and I know it sounds trite. It sounds like, come on, you can't give this guy all this much credit, but I'm here to tell you one guy has made the difference. And, you know, and, and that's just the, the impact. And I think it's similar to way the, the, you know, and he didn't have the skill set at that time, but the, it's similar to what Peyton Manning did for the Denver Broncos. You know, um, he raised the level of, of their defense. He raised the level of, of uh, expectations and went to two Super Bowls. So, um, you know, these guys are rare, and um, they, they, it's been amazing to watch. They're, lot, they're really fortunate to have them, even at 43, that he can play it as well. It's crazy. I can't – it just it makes no sense that he's that does and he plays like mm-hmm. he does. But, it doesn't. Um, okay, man. Um, well, look, Rick, again, I, I appreciate your time. Uh, yeah, no problem. It was fun. I, I learned a lot, and uh, looking, looking forward to the game on Sunday. All right. Sounds great. Thanks, man. Okay. Thanks, Rick. All right. Great stuff with Rick. I love talking to these people who live it, who sort of know where the bodies are buried and everything else. I learned a lot from that conversation, and I hope you did too. So, okay, that's our show this week. Thank you so much for listening. I hope we're worth your time. And if I can impose, I hope we're worth subscribing to, rating, and reviewing. It really helps us get the word out. Thanks, as always, to Savannah Smith for putting this together. Thanks to everyone who called in, even those we couldn't get to this week. And again, biggest thanks to you for listening. Let's do it again next week. Probably going to be stuffed with uh, whatever happens on Sunday. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the game. Be kind.